This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Today marks the 25th anniversary of wrestling coach John DuPont being convicted of murdering Olympic champion Dave Schultz at his Foxcatcher farm in Pennsylvania. I spoke with director Bennett Miller, who chronicled the chilling story in the 2014 film Foxcatcher, starring Steve Carell, Mark Ruffalo, and Channing Tatum. Capote, Moneyball, this. You seem to love these true life tales. Or is it just coincidence? Uh, well, I, th- I think it's in part coincidence, but I also just like having something that I could actually, you know, examine. You know, yeah. something that's real that you can scrutinize and can yield real, you know, insight if you stare at it hard enough. I began developing this one from scratch, you know, it just began with um, seeing some newspaper articles about it, and so. And there wasn't a lot of information available, so there's no like book or article or anything. You know, there's, right. there's no great source material to it's begin with. Not a straight with. adaptation or something. No, yeah. no, no, no. Uh, like those other things, but um, where there's just so much available at your fingertips. But there's something about the story that just drew me into researching it and learning about it. But the the challenge comes more with conceiving of. Uh, the story in such a way that it adds up to more than just the story. You know, each of these films, to me, resonated with significant themes. And they have an allegorical quality, for Mm -hmm. me at least. And they, they actually operate in the same way fiction operates, meaning it's always, I mean, for me, good fiction is, is, is always about something bigger than the story. Right. So multiple levels, yeah. Yeah, so if it's, um, if it's not doing that, then it's just sensationalism. I mean, you could look at a story like this and go, eccentric millionaire, wealthiest man ever convicted of murder, and wrestlers, right. and it, it's really not that hard to find a film. In right. that, what, what was hard is to keep asking questions and to look past the spectacular and dig down into some deeper currents and find something that was more relevant and resonant. You know, Mark Schultz left the farm right after the '88 Olympics, right. and then the murder didn't happen for eight years after that. Like in the mid '90s. Yeah, '96, and I collapsed that time um, for dramatic expediency. It, it was set in the 80s and it was set in Reagan. Yeah. You know, it was a new morning in America and there was an idealism I think that people were latching on to. Mm-hmm. That was a reaction to a 
bleaker reality that yeah. many were feeling. Yeah. You know, the first act, which is set in Wisconsin with these brothers who are Olympic champions, but hardly scraping by, uh, was sort of a Carter era reality. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And, um, you know, he's sort of airlifted into this idealism. And he, he's ready to buy into that. He wants yeah, to believe he it. Wants yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it just part of what made the story appealing is that you didn't have to reach for that stuff. It was all right there. And right. It just, just natural metaphor. You know, obviously another huge theme is, is between the brothers. Do you have a brother yourself? Do you, where do you, is there something uh, yeah. you pull from that? Um, I mean, I, I do have two brothers, but um, this is not really based on my relationships right. with my brothers. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, in casting those two brothers, because I mean, it's a huge, I mean, that's the huge driving, you know, thing behind most of the movie. Um, yeah. How did you, which one did you cast first? Was it Channing or Ruffalo? And how, and how did that affect the casting of the other one? Well, I offered the role to Channing eight years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was in a movie called Guide to Recognizing Your Saints. Mm -hmm. It's the first time I'd ever seen him, first time I'd ever heard of him. Uh, saw the film, didn't even have a script yet. Um, called him up, met with him, pitched him the movie, offered him the part. So that one performance was enough that you said, yeah, I mean, and this meet, is the guy. And, yes, and meeting him. Yeah. There was nothing else to look at. Like, Step Up hadn't come out. Yet. Right, right. Yeah, there was nothing else there. But I just thought, you know what, it's nice to cast an obscure actor yeah. in this role and not to have a big movie star, you know. And of course, is. <laughs> six years to get made yeah. and that was the biggest movie star on the planet Earth. But um, you saw him, you saw the potential before that though, so. Yeah, I mean, that role is amazing in Guide to Recognizing Your Saints and it, in the direction his career took and the sorts of roles that he would get. Um, really were in a different direction and this this is sort of sure. going back to something closer to how he began um, but the role of Dave Schultz Mark Schultz's brother it's hard to say how the casting of Channing affected that decision because I really didn't have a number two there was really only ever one person in my mind to play that role oh nice it was just you know, nice it, when it, worked out. it was yeah. going to be Mark Ruffalo so uh, they they complement each other so well. Um, Mark, you know, lost his brother. Mark Ruffalo lost his brother, uh, and he had a very similar relationship. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he had a very similar relationship with his brother as he has in this film. When you're on set, do you tap into that, or is it you just know he already is coming from that? I mean, we, that's a touchy thing we, for sure. He shared the relevance to me well before we ever began shooting. Sure. Uh, we really had one real talk about it, and um, it was more him just sharing with me than conversation. And uh, we never talked about it again. But I got to know Mark very well, and I knew when things were, when stuff was bubbling up. Sure. Well, I think it shows, shows through it for sure in performance. Uh, how, about, how about Steve? I mean, he's getting all kinds of notoriety and people saying, you know, oh, the comic actor, look at him playing this role, but right. you, you saw it, you saw it in him before. What is it, Little Miss Sunshine, he had yeah. a more serious role, suicidal yeah. role. I mean, the way, way back last year, he was, you know, kind of the jerk father. Um, yeah. What did you see in, in Steve beneath the comedic surface that so many other people see that, that said he can play this role, he's the guy for this? Well, just that, really. <laughs> that beneath the comedic surface is another side to him that uh, really does not get aired out too much. There's a public persona that we're all familiar with and there's a private reality. 
you know, to be such a public persona as Steve Carell, like, for your own sanity, I think you have to maintain a good measure of privacy. And it's none of the world's business, you know, how complicated you might be behind the comedic mask. Right. But when we discussed this role, he expressed a pretty deep understanding of the character and what this film was and what it would take, and as well as a willingness to exhibit some of these qualities. Sure. And uh, other than being an extremely talented actor, that kind of like commitment it goes a long way when casting somebody. And do you take pride in the fact there's all this early award buzz for him and maybe for some of the other actors too? I mean, you directed God Rest His Soul, Phil Hoffman to you know, and Capote, you, you got Brad and Jonah Hill and, mm -hmm. and Moneyball. I mean, are you, do you take pride in the fact that from the outside people can look in and say, hey, this guy's kind of an actor's director? Yeah, I mean, I, I, listen, that's sort of, it's a detail, it's a detail. I mean, I'm not in it to just like get good performances in the, for the for the big picture. Right. But what is and it about you working with the actors that seems to resonate? If there was some young director wondering how do I work with actors, um, what's your secret? It's just I care. That's all. <laughs> I really, that's the main thing is just caring, uh, being, you know, having a determination to find a process because it's different in every film with all different actors and different ensembles. But finding a process that is going to allow these actors to be truthful. Um, you're, you're directing I. There's a lot of voyeuristic shots kind of yeah. lurking behind the trees or lurking with a stuffed fox in the foreground, you yeah. know. Um, how do you use that to kind of build the dread, especially in a tale where, you know, if you, if you look up the real story, you know what happens in terms of the murder, but yeah. how do you use, you know, the lens, the eye, the cinematic eye to kind of build that dread with those, those oh. voyeuristic type lurking shots? It's what you just said. It's, I mean, the film doesn't tell the story. It observes it. And the way it's lensed is voyeuristic. It, you're right. Uh, and the lens choices and the deliberateness with which the, the camera moves or does not move, as well as the sound, you know, design. Silence, too. And the yeah, silence yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and how all of the different elements work to sensitize you to noticing what the characters themselves aren't even noticing, which is uh, a voyeuristic sure. quality, you know, it's like we are seeing something that we're not supposed to be seeing, maybe something no one else sees. The whole style of the film is rooted in that ambition. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.